0: It's important to tell myself my own story. We spend all of our times telling other people our stories. But we often forget that when we're telling those stories, we forget all those small pieces. We forget all those little bits that have actually built up. And quite frankly, you know, if you were going to tell it to somebody, it's not very interesting, right? It's it's pretty boring. <laughs> and everybody's got their own small pieces. But it's important for you to tell your own story to yourself. And to have a record of that, because without knowing what your journey has been like, without remembering, without having a a piece of that available to you, you don't know how far you've come. You're
1: listening to Interested with Donna Edda, a show that brings you ideas for wellness. My guest this week shows how art can be inspiring in revisiting the past and retelling our truth. Hong Kong-based artist Rachel Smith grew up half a world away on a large farm in rural Canada. Yet it is Hong Kong she calls home these days where she runs Senseless Art, her own artistic sanctuary in the heart of the city. Check it out, it's a great space in Prince Edward's right next to the MTR station so it's really easy to get to. Rachel teaches that art in almost all its forms to people from all walks of life from sewing to bookbinding, mixed-media painting to portrait drawing. She is also the producer of the Hong Kong Stories and the Hong Kong Stories podcast, a volunteer-led and run organisation dedicated to the art of telling their stories to a live audience. Above all, she has a knack for articulating her innermost thoughts into imaginative and quirky expressions. Then, in early 2019, following a panic attack, Rachel created the Matchbox Diary. She redirected her anxiety towards the making of a matchbox each day for one year, documenting the ups, the downs, and the mundane. The matchboxes are made with such attention and with so much details, they are so small while holding the memory of the day. In this conversation, we talk about how Rachel helped herself through difficult times by making things with her hands and taking back the control. There is so much to talk about in this conversation, so without further ado, I'm really excited to introduce to you Rachel Smith.
0: I started this project in early 2019, and I started it because I was having a really hard time. I was um, suffering through some panic attacks, uh, something I'd never had before, uh, and I was just feeling anxious all the time. Uh, really out of control and unsure of where or what I was doing. I guess I was having probably some kind of midlife. I don't know. I never got diagnosed, so self-diagnosis probably isn't that useful. <laughs> but I was not okay. Um, you know, I, I, I have a reasonably happy relationship all the time and everything. The problem in a lot of ways was there was nothing wrong. You mm-hmm. know, there wasn't any massive crisis happening, yet there was inside my head. Panic attacks. I was I was having night sweats. I was, I was just, and and none of this had happened to me before. So I didn't know how to cope with it. I didn't know what was happening to me. And I went to a friend's art opening, and it was really lovely. And I I worked a little bit on, helped out one of the artists on on their project for this opening. And so I was really you know excited. And as I'm sitting there, my heart starts to pound. Nothing to do with what's going on. My heart starts to pound. I I'm my breathing's really shallow and I just had this feeling like I have to get out of here. I have to get out of here. And so I, you know, tried to be really calm and sort of picked up my bag and um it was in the middle of the performance, so I didn't say goodbye to anybody and I literally ran back like heaving breath running back. You know, how often do you do that as an adult <laughs> unless you've left the stove on or, you know, something like that. I ran back to my studio, and I I had this big table in the center of my studio, and it's really sturdy and stable, and I love it. And I hid underneath my table, and just... I was sobbing, and I was shaking, and I I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know how to fix it. And I... Again, I didn't... I I couldn't point to anything. You know, my relationship wasn't breaking down. My my world wasn't ending. I I was okay, but I wasn't. So I called my husband, and... (laughs) He's wonderful, and he said, okay, well, you know, I'll come and pick you up, and I had a bit of time to kind of just calm down and cry and let it all out and sort myself out in that way, and he came and picked me up, and we had a a bit of a conversation, and I had a very good night's sleep, and this wasn't the last time that that happened, but I also kind of the next day, I thought, I need to do something about this. And although I've had therapy in different times in my life, I just didn't feel like this was one of the times that that was going to be something I wanted to do. Um, mostly because I couldn't think of anything to, you know, all the other times that I've had therapy, it's because I had a sibling pass away or um, I've had some major traumatic events in my life and this one was just like, I don't, I don't, I don't even know where to start. You know, everything's okay, but my brain seems to want to, take a holiday at inopportune times and make me act uh, not okay. So um, I'm sitting there in my art studio and I'm getting on with my practice. And at the time I was making a lot of small, tiny little creatures. Um, I like to work a lot in miniatures. And um, a friend of mine's daughter was moving away, and she had a lot of mental health problems. She's going through a really rough patch in her life, and she had these turtles. They were her therapy turtles. But they were moving back to Australia, and you can't take turtles back. So I thought, okay, well, you know, to help her out, I'll make these miniature turtles and we'll put them in a matchbox and she can bring them with her on the plane and she'll have two turtles that she can hold in her hand and it's something, you know, physical and silly, but also maybe a little bit helpful. So that was something that I could do for her. So I'm sitting there making, sewing these little tiny turtles, right? I'm sewing little tiny flippers on and, and then I make a little tiny matchbox because they have to have a home to live in and what else would they live in other than a matchbox? <laughs> This all seems very sensible to me, okay? <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Right? Of course you've got to make a matchbox. So I made this matchbox and I put them in and I colored the matchbox and I've got that ready and I thought, oh, that feels so satisfying. And I closed the matchbox and I'm like, there's this little moment of, yeah, you know, I've, I've done something. I've, I've made something today. And I know myself um, making something, makes me really happy. It gives me a sense of accomplishment. It makes me feel like, um, you know, I, there you go. Even if it's something, I don't cook, but I imagine people who really like cooking get the same feeling. (laughs) Have you always felt that way? Yeah. The satisfaction from working with your hands. Part of my drive towards being an artist is that when I make something, I feel good about myself, you know, and I don't even mind if it's something I'm going to sell or something that I've made for somebody else. If I've made something, I know when it's good and I feel satisfied. Have you ever dived deeper into the psychological reason behind that? Absolutely not. I'm a little bit afraid if I do, that I'll find some kind of psychological, you know, it's, it's almost like if you know that you get a, a real pleasure from making yourself a cup of coffee in the morning, you know, and then somebody goes into the psychology of it and they go, well, what you really need is that caffeine kick. And then you just go straight to the, ca- you're missing out on everything. It's the, it's a lot of, it's just the process and the mystery and the, the, the creating something from nothing. I don't really want to know why. I don't think I need to. So I'm there in my studio I close this box and I feel like, yeah, mm. but I'm also feeling like what the hell is happening to me? what is going on here? And so I'm also, um, thinking, well, day by day, right? My mom gave me the best piece of advice ever once when I was going through a really traumatic period in my life. And I said, you know, how do you cope? How do you know when enough is enough or when you're done? And she said, you just wake up in the morning and you, you ask yourself the question, am I in or am I out? And if you're 51% in, you're still in. And if you're 49%, you're out. And the next day you ask it again. And you ask it again until the question is no longer relevant. And that seems really simple and slightly ridiculous. But, you know, when you're dealing with any kind of crisis, step-by-step is the only way to deal with it. I mean, can you really stand back and go well, you know, in three years time, I'm going to think this is really Im- unimportant. <laughs> you know? um, so day by day, and I thought, day by day, this is what I need to do. You know, I had this panic attack yesterday. Don't know what's happening to me. But, you know, today I have a little bit of control. And that little bit of control is I can make a matchbox and I can close my matchbox, a little sound here. (laughs) I can make a matchbox and I can close it. And when it's done, that is finished. It's closed. I don't have to deal with that again for a while until I feel like it again, because then you open it again, but it's, you have control. You have a little bit of, of something that you can do with that. So I decided I'd make a matchbox and I really liked it. So on the same day, I also went very personal. I went for a pap smear because you should do that you know, regularly. It's important. Um, your female health, it's it's important. So I went for passion. The, the doctor, it was a new, I had not gone to this place before. The doctor was hilarious. So I went to a really local hospital. And being a foreigner, um, you know, the doctor was trying to convince me that my husband's Hong Kong Chinese, so he has a Chinese name and she's trying to convince me that I should be known as Mrs. Lai. You know, well, you know, because maybe people can't pronounce my name, which is Smith. I'm trying to explain to her that, you know, here I'm in, in the waiting room with sort of 40 other women, all Chinese. If someone comes out and says, Mrs. Lai, I'm not the natural. It's not likely to be me they're looking for. <laughs> So she's doing this pelvic exam, you know, you know what it's like, you're there in the stirrups, she's just doing this pelvic exam and I'm just, you know, I'm laughing at this lady and trying not to because that has repercussions, <laughs> there's a lot of muscles involved in laughter. <laughs> and so I get back to the studio after this exam and I say, okay, I'm going to, this was a ridiculous experience, I'm going to grab hold of that ridiculousness and how much, um, tiny bits of joy I got out of that and I'm going to put it in the box and when I need a laugh later on today I'm going to open the box and I'll have this moment of <laughs> sitting in the stirrups having this woman try and convince me I should be called Mrs. Lie in the local hospital system. It's all encapsulated in this little box so I have January 22nd pelvic exam and there is a 3D model of me with the doctor looking inside me. And, uh, you know, you close that up and I put it away and that was a lot of fun. And the next morning I come into work and I look at it and I think, well, that, okay, that was good. That was, that was funny. It was a funny moment, you know, I'm feeling pretty okay this day and I'm meeting up with a couple of friends for coffee and we have a regular sort of support, uh, support group, I guess it's for sellers, people who, who make and sell crafts in Hong Kong and it's just three, three other ladies and myself. We all met. They're really nice people. We're having a nice coffee, you know, and I'm sitting there breathing deeply and just going, okay, you know, stay calm. Don't have another panic attack. It's all okay.
1: Right, because that was still
0: fresh in your mind. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I don't know where they come from. I don't know mm. what's triggering them. So I go back to the studio and I make a little matchbox of them and I close that. And that's another memory. And, you know, I keep doing this and I think to myself, I'll do this for a week. And at the end of the week, I had another panic attack. And so there's one day in that seven days that is just a bit of a a mess. (laughs) But somehow it was okay because I had something to focus on. I had my panic attack and I thought, okay, I'll make a matchbox. So I'm there panicking and I'm there breathing and I'm there, my hands are shaking But it's okay, I'm making something and I can close that matchbox. And I can put it away. And some of the panic goes into that box with me. And so it's, I can cope. I can get through that day. And the next day when I look, I've got six days of things that have happened. Some of them are rather silly. Some of them are mundane, but there's six days of not panicking. And one day of panicking, whereas before when I was having these attacks, I'd look back and all I can remember is I had a panic attack, I had a panic attack, and now I can go, I had a pelvic exam, (laughs) I had coffee with my friends, I taught an art class, I did other things. I didn't just break down. And so seven days worth of that, and I thought, okay, well, I'm going to do this for a month and see how I feel after this. Now, seven matchboxes put all together, it looks really neat. And it looks like you've accomplished, one looks like you've accomplished a small thing. Seven looks like you've accomplished seven small things, which adds up to like, pretty nifty. After 30 days, it's a proper body of work. And you've made something, you lay them all out, and I'm taking photographs, and I've also started at this point in time putting them on Instagram, not necessarily for any kind of publication, but for my own personal, it it kind of, then I've got a place that I can put them, a place where I record them, and also a place where I record a little bit of my day as well. In the beginning, they were very, very cryptic. They got, tended to get less cryptic as I went on. I'm still fairly cryptic because, you know, I don't want to tell other people's business or anything like that, but often just how I was feeling and what the day was and what the point was that I was looking at And I gave myself some rules because rules are really helpful, especially when creating artwork. Um, I gave myself rules like each day I had to make one. And if I didn't, I wouldn't beat myself up, but I would do it as soon as I could. And for the entire project, um, I did manage to do, I think I missed two or three where it was kind of like. Seven o'clock the next morning, rather than before I went to bed every night, but that turned into a meditative process as well. So each day I gave myself permission to sit for half an hour and make a matchbox. Matchboxes are silly; they're not worth anything. They're not. They don't do anything. It's not even a real matchbox. I make it myself and draw the strike lines on the outside. So this permission to allow yourself to do something nonsensical, but yet is important to you, was was really was really vital to me. Um, so I, every day, and it has to be something about that day. So sometimes it was something really important to me, you know, something about my relationship with other people or something about um, a panic attack or, you know, but I, on April 19th, I did one about, um, um, Notre Dame burning, you know? So I, I remember that now. And I, could look back on these and see the kinds of things that were happening and the kinds of things that were, um, happening to me. So on, on, uh, in March, my nephew, who was four, 15 at the time, came to visit me and we went and saw butterflies on, on, um, Lantau Island. Oh, beautiful. Right. And it's just a little, it's a little piece of, of what we did. And it was a little reflection on my day
1: Was it a memorable
0: matchbox that stands out to you? Uh, There's a few. What a year to choose to do this. Because I started in January 22nd, 2019. And here I was all obsessed with my own worries and troubles and all the things that were happening to me. And then, of course, Hong Kong imploded. I mean, it's been building up for a long time what happened and... um, you know, people had a lot of grievances to to put out, so there are a lot. there May first is my hundred day matchbox. I also love that I didn't start on January first because there was absolutely no pressure. As well, um, I told myself one of the rules was: if you ever get to the point where it's fifty-one percent, I don't want to do this anymore. It's time to stop.
1: Nice, you gave yourself
0: permission to stop. Absolutely. I'm not doing this for anyone, there's no deadline, there's no, like, if you don't like it anymore, don't do it. So it kept being like 30 days. And there's a, there's a challenge online called a hundred day challenge. I don't know where it started, but there's a really fantastic artist in Hong Kong, Salome, Tam, Salome Tam. She does all these really neat nature pile stuff. And she had organized a hundred day meetup sort of thing so that people who were doing this challenge could meet up. She's, she's a really neat lady. Um, and so I, I, mean, I was kind of a couple of days off the deadline due date sort of thing, but you know, whatever who's counting. (laughs) So I went along to that and I managed to do a hundred days before I knew it. Of course, matchboxes, when they're all put together, they store inside of a bigger box and I'm just boxing up all my emotions and all my, it's fabulous. I mean, now I can look back and go, okay, the last week was filled with butterflies. I think I need to go for a walk. I've never kept a diary. I'm terrible at that, right? Because It tends to be like, dear diary, today I did. And I get bored of writing very quickly, especially handwriting, and I can't type. (laughs) There's a lot of fails there, right? (laughs) So this diary was really interesting because I could look back and say, okay, I feel like I had a lot of bad days that month, but actually, that's not what I've recorded I've recorded a lot of good days. Look at all the joy I've found in these things. Look at the excitement. And not only is the excitement there, but it's still in a box and you can still pick it up. So April 20th, for example, I had a bookbinding class. It was really neat. Um, And this box um, has another box inside. Oh, I love this one. I did say I like miniatures. And that box has a little tiny portfolio inside of that. And inside of the portfolio is little tiny (laughs) (laughs) poems. (laughs) Um, And, you know, that was, it was super fun. And when I opened that again, I remember the class. And I remember making, helping somebody make a big portfolio for their own poems, which are much better than mine, by the way. (laughs) Just being able to sit and think, okay, I I love that. That makes me happy.
1: Isn't it interesting how our memories
0: actually trick us and fail us sometimes? Absolutely. And I had no idea that that was happening with me. I had... I I really didn't understand how how out of touch with myself I was Mm -hmm. and how, and, and I don't mean that in an esoteric kind of way. I mean in a, in a, just a memory way. Our memories are phenomenal. Yeah. And I'm sure you've seen in, in, I'm just assuming here that every human goes through the same process, but. When you think of something, when you think of a performance you've done, when you think of a task you've done, when you think of, of something you've accomplished, and you go, oh, but I didn't. It's so frustrating. So this made me go, oh, but, mm. oh, but, oh, but this, oh, but that. And if nothing else, if I've had it, the crummiest day ever, it's been a horrible day, 2019. My studio is opposite Mong Kok Police Station. We got tear gassed almost every night for a while there. So, no, I'm having a lot of great days where I'm positive thinking, you know, mm. and all this kind of stuff. I'm watching my neighborhood disintegrate. I'm watching people really suffering. Um, I'm watching youths being... Um, you know, just in, in situations that they shouldn't necessarily be in and on all this hope and dreams of these young people and, and the positivity and, and negativity and all, everything that's happening there. And yet when I'm sitting down that night to make my matchbox with yet another version of tear gas in it, even then, if nothing else, I've got a new depiction of tear gas. I've thought of a different way of depicting it. And I've, I've thought of a different way of, of rendering that in paper and glue and little bits of something inside a matchbox. So if nothing else, there's something positive that's come out of that. Why do you think that's important? Um, it's important to tell myself my own story. We spend all of our time telling other people our stories, but we often forget that when we're telling those stories, we forget all those small pieces. We forget all those little bits that have actually built up. And quite frankly, you know, if you were going to tell it to somebody, it's not very interesting, right? It's it's pretty boring. <laughs> and everybody's got their own small pieces. But it's important for you to tell your own story to yourself and to have a record of that. Because without knowing what your journey's been like, without remembering, without having a, a piece of that, Available to you, you don't know how far you've come. I really love that
1: because we create to showcase, but this is really not about the outside world.
0: It Absolutely is not
1: for yourself.
0: Yeah, and I urge anybody who is feeling in any way, shape, or form, lost or um, confused or uncertain about their future or where they're going or their direction or all the things that we're usually, you know, worried about, <laughs> let's face it. Um, you're not alone and do something, do something every day, a little something that's permanent that you can keep and you can look back on and do it for a week. And then after a week, see if it's something that, you know, you find useful. And if it is do it for a month, And then do what I did and do it for 365 days.
1: (laughs) (laughs) When you think about some of the darkest moments Mm. and looking back on that matchbox, has your perspective changed?
0: How do you see it now? Well, some of the moments that I thought were the darkest moments are kind of like, well, that wasn't really that, you know, bad. It got worse. (laughs) (laughs) Well, again, you know, I'm, like I said, I'm opposite Mong Kok police station. I'm watching people's lives being torn apart. Um, I'm watching my neighbors being tear gassed on a regular basis. Um, My business is falling apart because people won't come to to my workplace. So I've got one on October the 4th when the anti-mask law came out. I didn't bring it along. You can't open it. It's glued shut. (laughs) I took it, and there's a mask, and I've cut it up, and I've thrown it inside the matchbox, and then I've spread ink all over it, and then I've I've beaten it with a hammer. (laughs) It's not the prettiest matchbox. (laughs) That's the one that's all mangled up. It's mangled. You can't open it. It's glued shut, and it's just this, you know, lack of conversation. Right just listen. Why are you allowing this to happen? You could do so much. And yet you choose to close your ears and blame. And I look back on that now and think, well, yeah, that was a pretty bad day, but maybe not the worst. (laughs) But once you've hit something with a hammer, you know, it's hard to go on to the next thing. What am I going to hit it with next? So zooming
1: out, how do you think art in general can anchor us? 'Cause it's obviously done so much for you and this is just the icing on
0: top. It certainly has. Um It's just something that's in your control and it's something that everyone can do. I know I get so many people coming in for art classes and lessons and things like that who say, Oh, I can't draw. I can't my favorite one is I can't draw a straight line. You're like, great. <laughs> art has very little straight lines, that's why we have rulers. Like <laughs> Who wants to draw right. a straight line? we're
1: holding ourselves against these, I don't know, um,
0: measurements. Absolutely ridiculous measurements. One of my favorite illustrators in the whole world is Quentin Blake. He illustrated a lot of the Roald Dahl books. Mm. And if you really look at Quentin Blake's drawings, they're awful. Like they're really, he doesn't finish lines. He doesn't, like a lot of them have just like orphan lines and scribbly bits. And, but they're also fabulous. You know, they're all so amazing. There's so much personality. There's so much humor. There's so much intention behind every single line he makes. And they look like they've been dashed off in a second. And I really hope they have been. And I love them. Here we are worried that what we make isn't perfect. That's because we're not. Why should we be? You know, if you want a perfect line, if you want a perfect picture, take a picture. Don't, don't bother painting something that looks true to life. Paint something that looks true to what you like. Um, there's another uh, friend of mine who is uh, more of a writer who's doing a, uh, currently doing an owl series. And I love it as a great example. She does a series of this little pencil-drawn owl. And she does a little box every day on lined paper. Owl does this. And it's it's again a reflection of something she thought of that day. So each day her little owl figure, and it, it's not, again, it's not perfect art. It's not beautiful, but I think she's up to something ridiculous, like
1: 250 wow.
0: pieces now. And every day she does one little tiny little drawing. Brilliant. You know, there's not a huge amount of stress to it. Owl does the dishes. <laughs> and it's it's really great. Salome Tam, the um other artist I mentioned earlier, a Hong Kong artist, um she did a a series 100 day series of um I, now I'm not entirely sure because it's been a little while since I looked at them, but she was looking at uh, some kind of uh, NASA earth projections, so pictures of and she painted them in watercolor. Little small squares, doesn't have to be big. So Art can be brought into your life at any point in time. I, I know somebody who's done pipe cleaners. Every day they made a different form with the same pipe cleaner. They did have to replace it after a little while, but they took a picture of it. Pipe cleaner does this today. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous, but that's what it should be. It shouldn't be something that you need to go, everything has meaning. and everything Because you find the meaning within what you do. Um, and you find the, you find the meaning when you've done it. A lot of the time. I think this is the handicap that we have, that creative handicap that you talk about. It's so frustrating. Try and get people past that. That's I, a lot of my art practice. I try and do these <laughs> anti art class art <laughs> classes where I refuse to let people know what they're going to make before they come. Mm. You know, do paper craft. What does that mean? It means whatever you come in and discover. That's what you really wanted to do. And believe me, after the first 15 minutes of sitting there and me showing you possibilities of what you can make, you found something that you're like, well, that's pretty nifty, let me try that. And you come away with amazing things. I think
1: making art should be a part of a lifestyle. It's kind of like brushing your teeth. You really should just
0: channel that part of ourselves, Mm -hmm. right? And it's it's a daily occurrence. Sometimes it's just how you put your outfit together when you're going to get dressed in the morning. I make a lot of my own clothes, so I wear um, clothes that are appropriate for my day. I have a dress that has ducks all over it. What day is that for? Those are my days when I want everybody to duck off. <laughs> nice. Okay, so now we all know. But it's a really bright, cheerful, green dress with ducks wow. on it. Sometimes it's just raining, admittedly those little bits of how you put your life together and how you put yourself together are also pieces of art and they should be seen as such. When we met the other day and you
1: talked about challenging different ways of seeing and some, mm. and sometimes breaking the rules. I really love that, you know, really just digging it in and, and not fitting into the status quo. And yeah. I guess when you're making art, you can really access
0: that. You should be accessing it. In fact, you should be always, um, finding ways of breaking the rules. And sometimes you've got to make the rules first. In Hong Kong? (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely in Hong Kong. I mean, Hong Kongers are brilliant at breaking rules. I love this city. It's so inspirational. Hong Kongers are experts at finding rules and then bending them so far (laughs) over (laughs) that you think they're going to break, but they're like, no, no, we're still within the rules. They consider themselves very law-abiding. You know, it's one of the safest places in the world on the street level. Yet, everybody's constantly breaking the rules. (laughs) Everybody's constantly got their own little twist. I find a place uh, living in England was much, much more restrictive. People are very, very conscious of of how other people see them. And in Hong Kong, because your personal space is so small, there's very little you can do to stop people from seeing you. You kind of just... Let that go a lot. Yeah. You know, look at the way people dress, the way people act, fashion. You know, there's all these rules that you set for yourself, but you're constantly breaking them. And your rules aren't necessarily the ones that the guy next to you has.
1: Well, on that note, one of the projects that you're doing, the Hong Kong Male Art Club, can you
0: talk about that? Because that is very different. Right. So I love Hong Kong, as I might have said. Hong Kong is a fascinating city because it's this urban expanse. And when people talk about Hong Kong, they always say it's all about money, which is such a lie. There's so little of Hong Kong actually involved in that. Work, yes. Pursuit of some kind of wealth and status, okay. But actually just finance, the financial industry, Uh uh-uh, no way. So you've got this, finance center. And then you've got the wildlife. We're living in the middle of a city, which imagine, you know, the apocalypse and humanity is wiped out. How long do you think it would be before the wildlife and vegetation takes over Hong Kong? I'm like five years. We're living on borrowed time with our, with our natural counterpart. You see every spring Every crack in every old building has a, has a plant growing in it that's just like, just you wait. You stop paying attention to me. I'm going to tear down this wall. <laughs> and all these little pieces live somehow in concert with one another, and yet somehow separate as well. And there's all these fascinating wildlife here. We have a barking deer. It's amazing. Have you seen one yet? I have not. <sighs> so I think they have one in farm, Farms. I have to take a trip up and see one. They're tiny. They're really small like size of a small to medium-sized dog. And they have this bark that they make, which you can listen to on YouTube, look up barking deer, that's a cross between a dog barking in pain and somebody being murdered. <laughs> but it's horrendous. Wow. And it comes from a deer, like a Bambi. They also have canine teeth, the males, that come out of their mouth oh. like a wild boar this is a deer. Doesn't that just say Hong Kong? You've got this, what we would consider normally this passive, shy creature, because, you know, deer, that's usually what they are, with canine tusks. It's fantastic. And we have otters. We have insects that are really wild, um, so I've done this Hong Kong mail art project. Um, sorry, go on about this, all this interesting wildlife all day, but, um, have done this Hong Kong mail art project cause we've all been, you know, socially distancing and being at home a lot more. And a lot of kids have been off school and I love getting post. I love getting mail. I love sending mail. And I thought, well, what we really need is an art project that doesn't have a lot of, you know, you have to make a Picasso or you have to make a Rembrandt. Um, it's not that sort of thing. It's something that anyone can achieve. Um, and it comes to your house with small instructions, but not very many, because I want you to try it out yourself and see where you can go. It's pretty much idiot proof. Um, and it reflects Hong Kong. They're all, all the projects are on Hong Kong wildlife. So I've, we've got, um, three projects that are finished now and I'm working on the fourth. First one is Hong Kong insects. You know, dragonflies. We have a huge amount of dragonflies. They're so cool. Uh, we have an atlas moth, um, which in, in Chinese I think is called a snakehead moth because on those corner of its wings it's got snakehead um, centipedes. Oh, my God.
1: Right, We have a deadly centipede in Hong Kong.: It's insane. Every time we see one around the
0: house, we scream and oh. we just
1: like. around your house. it's it.
0: probably a house centipede, in which case leave it alone because it's really, really friendly. But this is the other thing. We don't know very much about insects, no, right? right? So you're doing a small piece of art. you're doing something again, you, you finish it up and you've made a bug, and it feels great, right? Because you've made something, and you've colored it yourself. And I send a, a, a sheet as well with facts about the bugs.
1: I love that part of it. It is also educational. I mean, yeah, like you said, there's so much we don't know
0: about these so much living I mean, things. And I'm certainly no expert, but uh, there's a neon cuckoo bee. If I've got it right, the neon cuckoo bee lays its larva in in the nest of the blue banded bee, and the larva eats the blue banded bee's egg, and the blue banded bee feeds it, and then it grows up into a cuckoo bee and flies off and lays eggs in some. Yeah, the cuckoo, anything with cuckoo is, is basically the laziest parents ever. They're kind of like, yeah, the cuckoo bird is famous. It it goes into someone else's nest and lays its eggs. And the cuckoo bird's egg usually hatches a little bit earlier. So the cuckoo bird will then, the hatchling will then knock all the other eggs out of the nest. And the parent birds of the other, Nest of the, of the of the nest will feed and raise the cuckoo bird. I had no idea about this. This is this is why cuckoo birds are famous, and the cuckoo bee does the same thing, except that it's also blue. So then every week you send out a pack, or how does it work? So you sign up for a four week project, and the projects are themed. So the first one is insects. The second one is. Um, birds and the third one is mammals and I'm working on ocean creatures at the moment and it's a four week project you subscribe to this um, you pay a fee and I send you each week I send you an envelope with all of the things you need other than the coloring materials and some glue to make that week's project so uh, with the bugs every week there's four bugs that I send you and they're, they're basically cut out already so they're pop out and then you have to glue pieces together and color them yourself. And they come with an information sheet as well.
1: Oh, brilliant.
0: Yeah. This is so cool.
1: Have you always been this playful?
0: Uh, probably, yeah. Um, I have a lot of trouble taking things seriously for too long. What do you think that is? Uh, just general irreverence. I did have a career for a little while working in, in a bank. But there's only so many like, different colored socks that you can wear to make your day better. So I discovered after three years that that really wasn't for me. And I had a career working with children, which was fabulous. I was teaching English for a long time, right. and I had a I was a tutor in Hong Kong as well. I have a specialty with kids with learning disabilities, so I work with a lot of kids who are falling through the cracks in the system. Um, and I, I worked with an educational psychologist who would refer children to me, so they would do the assessment but not the um, sort of steps to, to work forward, and I, they'd often be sent to me. So kids with you know, ADHD or um, kids who have some dyslexia, you know, there's nothing better than getting a kid with dyslexia coming in and they've been told they're stupid, yet they've gone up to P2 without anybody noticing they can't read. Like in Hong Kong, that's just phenomenal. And I'm like, so the parents are, my kid is not able to learn. I've been told they have this learning disability and we feel like our lives are over. And I'm like, hold on. Your kid's clever enough to get to grade two, P2, and nobody's noticed Your kid is a genius, just not at reading, right? (laughs) But there are skills in there that are going to serve him for the rest of his life, and he's going to be amazing. All we need to do is teach him how to read. I mean, that's not that hard. And so six months later, when you've taught him all the coping skills and shown him the shortcuts or the ways that he can use for shortcuts for reading... And he's back on track with everybody in his class, but he still has these amazing interpersonal skills. Now this kid's a superhero. I love that perspective. That's fabulous.
1: (laughs) So do you remember a teacher or mentor that
0: made an impact on you in that sense? Um, There was a couple. There was one teacher that I had in in grade school. So we go to school in Canada until grade 8, primary school. Um, But um, we had this teacher who, when we'd all done our work... And when we'd all, you know, had kind of, it wasn't necessarily a reward for good behavior, but, you know, you get this kid who's cheeky in the class and who's done something that you know is funny, but the teacher has a choice of, of disciplining them or kind of going, yeah, all right, that was funny, but just don't do it again, okay? Um, that's what he'd do. And he was able to even sometimes saying, I'm going to have to punish you. And this is the reason why. Yes, it was funny, but it was inappropriate. right? And being able to talk to us as adults, but also as, as people, like not just as children who needed to be disciplined, but as, as human beings. We all know that was entertaining, but it wasn't appropriate at this point yeah. in time. So let's try and focus that entertaining or that energy on something that's going to be more useful for you. And that is appropriate. You go and do a project that's, you know and do a project on that funny thing when we were on target and we didn't have pressing issues he'd sit and tell us stories about when he was a kid and he grew up in newfoundland in canada and he was hilarious and funny and human
1: and Rachel, in a way i think this is how you are reflecting this learning you are such an open person and teaching With such heart, and it is so refreshing. I absolutely love what you're doing and what you stand for, and I really appreciate it. In closing, can you share what is
0: your idea of wellness? I always want to try and get away from looking outside for wellness. We certainly need a lot of help a lot of times, but I think wellness has to start from within you, and wellness comes from. Just being a little bit proud and a little bit happy by something you've done. Being able to say, without apology, I did that and I like it and I'm happy about it. Even if the rest of the world is falling down (laughs) around you Mm. or you failed something miserably. Wellness is being able to say, there's something good. There's something in that that I can build on.
1: Thank you so much for being here today, Rachel, and sharing your story. Where can the audience find you? You can find me at
0: senselessart.net, on Facebook in the same name, Um, actually on all social media sort of things on the same name. So you can find me at senselessart.net.
1: Great, thank you. Is there anything else you would like to share that I've missed? (laughs) Uh,
0: Just well done for doing the podcast. Uh, um, I'm also a podcaster in Hong Kong, and it's so wonderful. Yes, Hong to Kong see stories. Hong Kong stories, that's right. And it's so wonderful to see the podcasting community in Hong Kong building and growing and becoming bigger and bigger. Start a podcast. Join us. The show notes of this episode are
1: on my website, www.interested.blog. I love receiving your messages they encourage me to continue bringing you helpful wellness content and to help others find the podcast too. If you like my work, hit subscribe and share it with a friend.